All right, man, we'll get started this morning. We'll jump in. Uh, join me in a word of prayer as we get ready to go through the book of Colossians, continue on part four. Dear Jesus, I thank you for this time with these men. I thank you, Lord, that you are Lord of creation. And Father, this creation today looks good with all your rain, with all your moisture, uh, with the coolness of the fall. Lord, we are grateful. We're thankful this morning. And Father, we just pray that as we go through your word this morning, Father, that truly we are transformed more and more into your image each day that you give us life on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll catch you up just a little bit. If you haven't been here, I'll give you a recap over the past three weeks. Now, Colossians, of course, just goes through chapter four. And so we've covered chapter one, two, and part of three. And today we'll cover the rest of three and on to four because uh, I've got to get us through this for um, some things that are coming up the next three weeks and uh, three to four weeks we're going to have different guests that come in and speak this is a time in my journey where I actually write in the fall usually do a lot of writing and I do a lot of writing in the summer so those are kind of the two seasons so during that time I'll be in and out but I'll be uh, I'll be doing some writing we've uh, got our our uh, messages for Sundays done I started Easter and back up so Easter is the culmination of the Christian year, so I start there and then really, really come backwards. Uh, this week we'll be starting a new sermon series called The Divine Embrace. I'm really excited to jump in there with you guys and talk about it. It's a lot deeper. It's going to be interesting to see how that unpacks. I don't know about unpacking it outside of a teaching setting. So we're going to try to do it in a preaching setting and we'll see what happens with that. But right now... We are in Colossians, and as we go through this, the first week we talked about the supremacy of Jesus. The second week we talked about the freedom we have in Jesus, the triumph of the cross. And then in week three we talked about how uh, Paul is saying, hey, we are alive in Jesus and how peace should rule our hearts because of that. We've talked about the two extremes, of course, the license and the legalism. And then we, or if you want to call it greasy grace and works righteousness excuse me anyway and we have both those two enemies in our church today right we have the fleshly and the carnal and or the carnality and that and that's still around with us today so god is leaving us to abandon these and embrace true spiritual life in christ uh to to be life-giving to be christ manifesting to be spirit-filled is what jesus has called us in this life to be and to become so here's the thing, as we, as we talked about last week in chapter 3, there are a lot of things that uh, God wants for us, but what He wants as a people who are in a broken world, He wants us to be the peace for the world. And in order for that to happen, that means that peace must rule our hearts. And last week's message really spoke to us, hopefully, about how to make that happen, how how peace should rule our hearts. When God is Lord, when Jesus is Lord of your life, then we start, should start walking in peace, and that peace should be offered to the world around us. So today, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open to Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to start there with 18 through 25. Now, we weren't able to get there last week, so I love this because this is going to be very practical. It's very easy to understand. This is going to unpack very quickly for all of us. Um, and it's, it goes back to really... What I've said for years, the most spiritual thing you'll do today is what? The choices you make, right? The most spiritual thing you'll do today are the choices that you make. That's just the truth in our life. So you get up in the mornings. I don't know how your morning 
plays out. Uh, you may go directly to the bathroom. You may go directly to the coffee and start making your coffee. I don't know how that unpacks. For, for me, the first thing I want to do is look at Scripture. I, I want to see God's Word first thing in my life. What's He saying? And it's, it's not my Scripture reading for the day. It's simply pulling my phone out and unplugging it from His charger and looking at, at uh, the Scripture for the day, a little, little reading that I do. So um, I don't know what yours is, but, but here's the thing. It's very practical. It's a choice that I make. I, I want my life to be that in the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean I'm more godly or more righteous than you. What it means is this is just a practice, a discipline that I try to accomplish in my own life. So with you, I don't know what that looks like, but here's what I want you to, to know. The most spiritual things you'll do today are the choices you make. So start by making good choices. Make good choices. Make a choice to follow the Lord. You know, sometimes, uh, and, and we'll talk about discipline and some other things um, here in the upcoming weeks, but, but today as we look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, what he's saying is, hey guys, I'm going to show you how to make this very practical. As a matter of fact, this is so practical that we're going to talk about it again on Saturday. This is kingdom families. That's basically what we have right here. So the family, if you understand the family, you understand it's the basic unit of the church. The family is the basic unit of the church. So if Satan were going to attack something, if he were going to attack the church, if he were going to attack the bride of Christ, what would he go after? Makes sense that he'd go after the family, men. I mean, and so the Apostle Paul says, hey, you might want to watch this, and here are some ways of protecting your family, making good choices on behalf of your family. So Colossians 3, verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So men, most of you can quote this scripture or quote one very similar to it, or maybe a scripture that you wrote, right? <laughs> Saying wives, women, I know somewhere in the Bible it says, right? And here it is, here's your defense, it is in there. Now, here's the thing, to submit, this is actually an instruction to the wife and not to the husband. So the first thing you got you to realize is sometimes we go in and demand submission when in reality, the scripture is the one that says, submit therefore to your husbands, all right? And that is written to the wives. Wives, this is what this looks like in that submission. Because for a woman, a woman's uh, innate, innate sense of purpose, watch, is to really rule the man. That was a curse in the garden. The curse is known from the, it comes to us from the word desire. You've probably heard me speak on this before, but you remember with, with, uh, uh, the curse, uh, the Lord tells in Genesis chapter 3, tells Eve, um, here's the curse that's going to befall you. Your desire will be for your husband. All right. And that, that's an all inclusive thing there in the Hebrew, which means desire to rule your husband, a desire for a man's position, a desire um, for leadership or headship in that way. That word is only used one other time, and that's in Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 4, when he's talking about Cain and Abel, uh, the Lord is warning Cain, and he says, um, be careful, for evil lurks at your door, and it's desire, or Satan lurks at your door, depending on which version you're reading, and it's desire is for you. It means to stretch out and, and to stretch over. So here the Apostle Paul just jumps in there and says, look, you're going to have to fight women, wives. You're going to have to fight this desire to, for your husband, all right? It's not a sexual desire. It can be used as a sexual desire. So here's the thing. A woman is not sexually motivated in the way that men are. 
You know this if you're married. All right? I'm talking to men today. And so oftentimes women, women uh, are, are not thinking in the terms and in the same lines of, of men. And what happens with that is that gives the woman strength to manipulate. Well, I'm not going to do that until you take trash out. I mean, it can be real practical, right? right? Well, I told you last week, if you didn't wash the dishes, we're not doing that until the dishes are washed. Right? So there's just this strength, there's this innate thing that a woman has, right, based upon what God has given her. So, so um, here he's saying, look, the proper way, though, is for the authority to actually come from the man, as is fitting in the Lord. So submit yourselves, wives, subdue the thing that makes you want to reject the leadership of your husband. Now, some husbands, let's just be honest, are not necessarily worthy of following. That's just the bottom line. Sometimes, men, um, if you haven't been walking with the Lord, if you haven't submitted yourself first to the Lord, it's hard to earn the respect of your wife. And that's a whole other teaching at another time. But just listen to me. Sometimes we men don't understand what it means to submit to the Lord and to lead our families, much less to lead our wives. And, and we can teach on that, and we do teach on that on a regular basis. So I'm looking at, at uh, a way of unpacking that later. But men, you have to ask yourself this question. Am I submitted to the Lord where I hear His voice? Watch where I can accomplish the next thing the Apostle Paul says because it is written to the husbands. Verse 19, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Well, the first part you may have and the second part may be a little more difficult for you or the, the first part may be more difficult for you and the second part is easy. Look, for some men, we're so passive that we don't necessarily love our wives, but we're sure not harsh to them. I mean, they drive a nice car, they, they get what they want, they're able to live their lives as they want, but we're pretty passive in, in how we interact with them. So one of, of, of these two things, sometimes we tend to swing that paradigm one way or the other, right? We either love our wives and we're harsh with them or we are very passive to them, but we don't express our love to them and with them. So he's saying this is a twofold thing. Husbands, love your wives. That word love is a familiar love. It's agape. That's an undeserved love. That's a love that they, they don't go around trying to win you over for. It's a love that you automatically give. It's the same word that's used for the love that Jesus gave for us when he went to the cross for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That proves his love, his agape love. We did not deserve it, but he gave it anyway. What would our wives look like when we give them a love that they never deserve? It would empower them right? And it would cause them to stretch over us. I'm just kidding, man. Come on. Y'all awake this morning, you get the, the dichotomy there. Really, that's not at all what happens. When you love your wives as Christ loved the church, it, it doesn't empower them in that way. It empowers your marriage. And when it empowers your marriage, then here's what happens. The basic unit of the church is healthy. That's why we spend a lot of time here at Harvest speaking about marriages and speaking about this relationship between husbands and wives don't be harsh with them right don't lord it over them harsh means to cause them to become bitter from the way you treat them have you ever had uh have you ever known bitter women i had one as a neighbor one time anyway uh 
is a real interesting thing. I won't go too far into that. But husbands and wives are supposed to be a team. We are what leads and what grows up our family in the word and the admonition of the Lord. And so we are to instruct our family just as we instruct the church. So my kids know if, if friends are over hanging out, that when devotional time comes, if the friends are there, the friends go through the devotional with everybody. And it's fun to watch the friends. I enjoy that because a lot of times they're just in there going, it's, you know, just looking, they won't say anything. But most of the time, they're more engaged than my own kids. But it's because my kids get tired of being preached. But anyway, children, obey your parents, verse, uh, verse 20. So all of this is kingdom families. Remember, we have kingdom families coming up here uh, this Saturday. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Man, what would it look like if children actually obeyed their parents? What's that? Well, it might depend on who their parents are, right? Uh, but, but isn't it a, a beautiful thing to see children who actually respect and honor their parents in everything? It pleases the Lord for it to be that way. It's funny because my youngest is real concerned about my age right now. So she's real concerned about what I eat, how I eat, how much I eat, right? She's because she wants me to be around. And so she, she'll just love on me. She gets in my lap every night as I read the devotionals. She wants to, and she's almost nine. I mean, she's getting pretty old to be doing stuff like that. But that's just what she does. She loves to go out into what she calls Poncho's pen where the horse pen is. And she loves to find Flint and bring Flynn in and wash it, and then she comes and she brings it to me, and she's just looking for the approval of her dad because she knows I, I, I like to find Flynn. I like to find Indian artifacts and that type of thing, and she's really into that. But, but she just, uh, and when I get on to her, it's, it's a lot of times it doesn't take um, any more discipline than saying you stop that because right now she's really into her dad. Now, the oldest one's not, okay? It, they just kind of go through seasons. But obeying your parents, honoring your parents, even for us men, if your parents are still alive and you've never honored them, I would encourage you to start honoring your parents as best that you can. Remember, the Scripture reminds us that they raised us the best they knew how, that fathers raised you the best they knew how. And for some fathers, I understand they don't know how to raise their sons even today. As a matter of fact, you can be 50 years old and your dad may think that you still are not raised. Now, I'm fortunate. My dad did not feel that way at all. By the time I was 16 or 17, I was cut loose pretty much in, in, a, in a good way. I still had to be home at midnight, but other than that, there weren't a lot of questions. He trusted me and he always has. But, but for I, I've done plenty of counseling to know that even today, some of you may be bitter towards your father because of the way your father treated you. If you can honor them for what they did know, it may be very minimal, but it makes a difference in, in and for God's kingdom. So learn to obey. That means to listen, to give ear to. And then verse 21, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Now, this is easy to do, by the way. You may not realize that you're doing it, but if you try to manipulate your kids, that will embitter your kids. So with, with our kids, I don't ever count down. I never say three, 
two, one. I never say, okay, that's your first warning. All right? To me, warnings are threats. Man, I grew up with the belief and the foundation and a dad who really taught me this, that, that really a threat is, is, is worth a fight because somebody is trying to manipulate the other one. So I, even to this day when someone threatens me, it gets all over me and I can't do anything about it because I'm a pastor. <laughs> but threats are, are just simply things that embitter people. You know, and I think this is part of the problem with our culture, but I won't go too far down that road. I just don't think it's a good thing to threaten in any way, any form, any fashion. I don't believe manipulation should be there. And fathers, don't embitter your children. Don't threaten your children. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. This is the way it is. God placed your children in your care for this reason. Don't bring them to a place where they are embittered. I would say this, it doesn't mean that you have to be, be mean. It doesn't mean that you have to be angry. As a matter of fact, I think you just have to be pure at heart. And when we're pure at heart, what, what the children begin to see is really, he's looking after my best good. He, he is concerned, he loves me, and this is for my good. Now, how are other ways that we embitter? Sometimes we embitter through slander. Sometimes we we uh, uh, go in and flip the light on and they're not out of bed, you know, and, and it's uh, Saturday morning and it's 9.30 and you're like, what the heck is going on with my kids? And so we say things like, hey, get up lazy. You know, why are you so lazy? Words like that tend to stick. And the Lord really had to convict me about that. I, I've also had to realize that, that children are all geared differently. I've got, I've got a couple that are, uh, don't mind shifting into fifth gear. And then I've got one that stays on cruise control. I mean, it doesn't matter. He will work, but he's going to work at his pace. And, and I can speed that pace up for a time. <laughs> but then it tends to back off and wind up back. And it, however, I'll say that he's very honorable. He does not. Uh, try to cause me strife or anything. My pace, what I've had to learn, is a lot faster and probably a lot more intentional than his pace, or at least at this time in his life. Now, his grades are far better than mine ever were, so oh well. Um, but we can still still say things that will embitter our children towards us. So pay attention to what you say. Uh, the Apostle Paul is just working on the family dynamic here. He's just speaking to this church because he loves this church. And the Apostle Paul for the church at Colossae, remember this, he's imprisoned at this time, but he loves this church. Of all the churches that you see the Apostle Paul really pour his heart into, there are really a couple, Colossians being one of those, Colossians really being one of his, you can see this, one of his favorites. And so he sees them as his children and he's pouring his heart and he's saying, hey guys, remember who you are in Christ. So the other thing he's going to bring us to is, is he's also trying to show us the importance of community here. Notice wives, husbands, children's, children, fathers, that is community. God intended for all of us to be in community. It's easy to isolate ourselves and to think we don't need community. But his intention was that we would be in community, whether it be in our family, whether it be in our church, but we're going to stay in community. And I'll go on and you'll see that here in just a minute a little bit more. As a matter of fact, I believe he's encouraged us to seek one another out 
to solicit outside help here, be open to the truth, be willing to learn. You know, look at ways and look at areas where we have the opportunity to learn about how to raise our children, how to love our wives, how to be the fathers of the household of God. Because that's what he's looking for here. He wants his men to raise up and be fathers in the household of God. Colossians 3, 18 through, through 25 there. Now, when we get to 22, we change just a little bit, and, and, uh, but it won't, take, it won't take long for us to go through this. In verse 22, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. All right, so here's what he's saying, slaves. Now, what we would say today is that we don't have slaves in the terms that they had slaves in that day and time. Now, slaves in that day and time, you know that at any time, things could be required of them. As a matter of fact, for the Hebrews at that time, because of the Roman culture, they could be tasked with service at any time outside of their job. So at any time that a Roman was coming through and said, hey, you carry this pack one mile, remember what Jesus said. He said, what do you do with that? Carry it too. If he asked for your shirt, then you should do what? Give him your cloak as well. So, so Jesus kind of hit on this. The Apostle Paul saying, all right, here it is. Slaves, pay attention. Obey your earthly masters. Now, the word earthly, I just pulled that out last night and did a little short word study on earthly. Here's, here's the thing about earthly. What he's saying is, remember life is a short time for you. It's a short time for all of us here. If you could win your master to the Lord, what a victory that would be, not just for you, but for slaves to come, for servants to come. So, so here's what he's saying. He's saying, obey your earthly masters because your time is short here on earth. Do it not only when their eyes on you and to curry their favor. To curry their favor means to just try to, to receive their blessing, receive their reward, right? But with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. So um, you should be excellent in your job when no one is looking. That's what he's saying. It shouldn't take a master watching over a slave for you to to have and hone in excellence. Now, those of you who have your own businesses today, let's just talk about that for a moment. Is it easy today to find people who work in excellence or is it difficult? Is it getting better or is it getting worse? So let me take it one step further, all right? What's the answer for that? The answer would be for us to learn to do our work well as unto the Lord and to show and instruct those who are coming up. You know, this is who we are. Verse 23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. As working for the Lord. Not to human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So when he talks about an inheritance from the Lord, once again, he's saying, hey, remember your time on earth is limited. Your inheritance is for eternity. So do your work as unto the Lord. Just, just do it and do it in excellence. Learn to serve. Learn to honor Christ. Verse 25, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. And there is no favoritism. So in other words, you are going to have employees, masters, those of you bosses and who are owners, you're going to have at times employees, watch this, who are, are probably not working well on your clock. 
And, and it's interesting here because I think that's really where he's going in verse 25. Anyone who does wrong will be, repa- will be repaid for the wrong. You know they're not getting their work done. Just know this, God does too. The best thing we can do is instruct them, show them, encourage them, try to reward them for the things they do. However, if they are stealing, you know, uh, my kids love to go to pawn shops. That's one of the things that they like to do. And it's funny because we'll go through there and all these tools are in there. And I'm like, those belong to Andrew. Anyway, right. But they'll be repaid for their wrongs. Uh, in other words, the, 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 there, is, there are consequences for what we do and for what they do. All right. There is no favoritism. Just continue to lead and lead well. You reap what you sow. No one can escape responsibility, not even those who are irresponsible. You know, when someone is irresponsible with what they do, what's that cause? What's, what does that do for everyone else? It increases their workload to be responsible. Irresponsibility holds someone else responsible for it. And if you're not careful, hey, by the way, our culture, man, I could just unpack this right now. But our culture believes, is starting to believe a huge lie that based upon other, other people's irresponsibility and even my irresponsibility, I'm entitled to more. It makes no sense. You can't make it make sense. But this entitlement culture, that's basically what it's saying is, hey, uh, I want someone else to pay for my irresponsibility. So Colossians 4, starting with verse 1. Masters, provide your slaves what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So I like to say it this way. If you're an employer, hey, pay your people an honest wage. Years ago, I had been working for a church four or five years, um, and this particular church, we had to go. As a matter of fact, geez, I had a dream about this last night. Just last night, I dreamed that I had taken a job for a church of Christ, a huge church of Christ outside of Dallas. Now, men, there's a lot of problems in just what I said, right? And, and what they wanted was me to come in and try to turn this ship around. Just try to turn it because it was dying. It wasn't doing, doing well. They still probably had, I don't know, two or 3,000 people. It was a huge church, but they had been up around six or seven and a huge facilities and all this stuff. And I remember going in and just, just looking at it and going, oh my gosh. And, and a lot of people, 70, 80 years old, I remember standing in front of them, having a meeting and saying, the first thing we got to change is the stage, especially all of the stack of papers that from each Sunday, and, and I know this comes from a past herd of mine because I actually had to do this at Wolforth. Um, the first thing we had to clean was the stage. So they had a little choir that would meet over here on this side and, and, and they had their, their uh, papers or their songs. And each week they would just put their songs um, on the stand until the stands were completely full of paper, falling off on Sunday mornings and in the floor and they didn't care. Just, they just didn't know. They'd never been shown. And I was like, look, everybody sees the stage. Everyone sees this up here. Spit cups. The guitarist was a dipper. And so I'd get up there, and I'm not kidding you, there'd be five spit cups up there in different places. I swear, well, never mind. The organ, up under the organ. 
the organist could barely get her feet under there from the stack of papers that were falling all I mean it's crazy that's that was my dream again last night my whole point in saying that I'd worked with Wolforth for about four years and never received a raise made $36,000 a year and it was uh, by that time we were just turning a huge corner we had grown rapidly we had doubled our attendance that year the next two years would be the fastest growing Methodist church in the Northwest Texas Conference Never see, and I remember sitting in a meeting with finance and sitting in that meeting of finance, the finance chair said this. He said, look, we don't need to give Curtis a, a raise. And here's why. Because, and this guy was a huge businessman and he said, because here's what we do. We pay, you want to pay the least and get the most. That's called good business practice. And fortunately, I had an SPRC chair then that said that's absolutely not going to happen. And so they kind of got into it, right, because he was trying to get me a raise. And we were, I mean, 36000 in Lubbock, Texas. Men, go try it with a family of, at that time, three, about to be four. Um, if, uh, well, five, about to be six. So that was tough. It was tough. It was slim pickings. And I remember that going back and forth. And I remember how my feelings were hurt. I was just like, man, that's really what he thinks of me. The district superintendent had to come into that church and say, here's what you're going to do. You're either going to pay him or we're going to move him. That's it. We can do this someplace else. And, and fortunately, uh, here's where I believe the Apostle Paul is going. And, and I believe even here in this church, we pay honest wages. Now, we don't have everyone where I would like for them to be but we're trying to get people there. If you have the opportunity to provide position, then provide a pay that will go along with it. Treat them well. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. People learn to pay an honest wage. How would you feel if you were in their situation? You begin to, to ask people to take on management responsibility at the pay of an intern. Uh, I, I didn't realize this when I came into ministry, but people really believe when you come into ministry, you take a vow of poverty. And, and so I took that on myself there for several years and, and uh, realized, hey, how, how are we going to make it one day? These kids are getting expensive, right? And so you have to think about things like that. And the Apostle Paul says, as you move forward, if you give people responsibility, pay them for their responsibility. Second thing here, devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful. Pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. We should pray at all times. The church is called to prayer. Men, you are called to prayer. The effective prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. Be watchful and thankful. To be watchful means that we pay attention to what's going on out here and what possibly could wind up in here. So what's out here could wind up in here. Be watchful and begin to pray. Pray protection. Pray for insight. Pray for direction. Pray for prosperity. Pray that the kingdom of God comes to earth. That is your job as men of God. Verse 5, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. What would he consider outsiders? He's speaking to a church, so anyone outside the church would be an outsider. So he says, watch, pay attention to how you treat them, how you act toward an outsider. 
Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. What does he mean by seasoned by salt or seasoned with salt? There's a couple things here, and I'm just going to say, don't worry, we're about to end this. I know you're sitting there going, man, we still got quite a bit. No, um, 7 through 18, verses 7 through 18 are relational in nature, and uh, we don't have to necessarily unpack those. You can read those. But here, here's what he's saying. To be seasoned with salt means that you should know your subject. You take a master carpenter, you say, put an apprentice on a job, and the apprentice gets stuck. And a master carpenter comes in, and what does he do? He corrects him, but he shows him. He instructs him. Here's why. Because he knows what he's doing. A master carpenter is going to say, this is where you went wrong. This is how we make it right. Tear that out. Come in here. Put these angles in. And this is, this is how it will all fit together. Because the master carpenter is seasoned in what he knows. It's the same thing with uh, uh, a physics. Wade's physics teacher is a great example. Because um, Wade, Wade loves physics. He absolutely loves it. But he can get stuck. And for me... I'm the apprentice. I'm like, holy cow now. Okay, yeah. We better get in touch with your teacher. But she's a, she's a master, right? She can come in and say, well, here's what went wrong. You're processing. You're doing good in your processing, but you used the wrong formula here. So we've got to plug this particular formula in, and this is what it's going to look like. Here's why, because she knows her subject matter. Someone who is seasoned with salt knows their subject matter. That means we should know God. And we should live our lives knowing Him, knowing His Word, and being seasoned in that. Seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. He doesn't say so that you'll know how to answer someone. He says that you'll know how to answer everyone. Because Jesus is the answer. So know your subject and know it well. Be seasoned. We exist for those who are outside of us. The Apostle Paul is reminding them, look, the church is the only organization in the world that exists for those who are not yet a part of it. So pay attention. When we honor people, it opens their heart to the Lord. So that's where he's at. So we're all on a journey together. It's all about kingdom families, right? Learning to honor one another, learning to honor God, teaching our children to do the same. Being church fathers the way he's called us to be church fathers. To think about the countless wives. You know, I was thinking about what I'm grateful for. The countless wives who have submitted to their husbands, even in, in the, in the di most difficult times. Even when it wasn't, it didn't look like it was going to be worth the wait. But husbands who have come around. And then husbands who have laid down their lives for their wives and their kids. Shown love even through difficult circumstances. I think of children who have chosen to honor and obey. Yesterday we were with Miles Sweeney in, uh, in Plainview, and Miles is the one who teaches our kingdom families, and Miles uh, did a staff development, so all of our staff were in Plainview yesterday, and I was just thinking, as a matter of fact, afterwards I was asking him about all his kids. He's got five kids, and all of them are just incredible people in this world today. They're all grown. Uh, the last one has Down syndrome. And uh, that boy is as sharp and as brilliant and making a difference. He, he, he told Miles, he, he told his dad the other day, and he's about 20 right now, maybe 22, 23. And he told his dad the other day, he said, Dad, you know, um, I was reading the Bible, and this, what I, this is what I realized. Now, this is a boy with Down syndrome. This is his number, his fifth kid. And he told Miles this. He said, I've realized that everything I do is the kingdom of God.
So Miles said we pulled up into the driveway and he jumps out of the car and he started running and he ran through the house into the backyard. He said, I walked back there to the backyard to watch what he was doing and he had seen a piece of paper blow over the back fence and he ran out there and grabbed that piece of paper and threw it away. And he came back in. He said, see, Dad, everything I do is the kingdom of God. This place, this house is the kingdom of God. And he said he's just on that trip right now, right? That's just an incredible, he says, an incredible trip to be on. I'm, I'm just on, on his ship with him, watching him do this, right? That's just the way it is. So children who have chosen to honor and obey, fathers who are leading their homes, employees who have worked unto the Lord, when men have made that difficult to do, uh, employees that just stick with it and keep going and keep, keep trudging through, knowing one day they'll be blessed. Bosses who have treated their employees right, embrace them like family. See, this is what we're called to do. This is what the church at Colossae was, was called to do as well. So men, um, that's going to conclude our study on Colossians. Like I said, the rest of the verses there are basically talking about familial things, um, things of connection, uh, and you can go. They're, they're very relational, like I said, in aspect. He, he calls out some people there. So uh, there are some questions there. I know you don't have much time. I went a little long, but I wanted to wrap up Colossians. Uh, next week, we'll have Beret, I believe. Beret, are you on for next week? Okay, and then JR's coming up, and uh, Oscar, and anyway, we're going to have, we're going to see what these guys are going to download in us over the next few weeks. So, Father God, thank you for these men. Father, continue to grow us up into righteousness, peace, and joy, for there is the kingdom of God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.